Blog Talk Radio. Everybody here. Yeah, and we got everybody here with us now. So, yeah, it's uh, been a cray cray few weeks. It has, it has. And we got crazy cats all around us here. The boys are showing off because they're going to be one years old now. Yes. And they're in a mood. <laughs> and Nina's trying to control the machine in the mood. And Lulu's just watching. Oh, and we mentioned they are in a mood. There you go. Oh, good times. <laughs> so she can referee. All right. So yeah, we let's see what, what have we got going on. Um, uh, we're finally getting a pup crawl that was our first one canceled due to COVID, and they finally get to go. Yeah. So yeah. Two years delayed, but we are taking this group out on a, on a pub crawl on Wednesday night. We're going to go catch a squirrels game on Thursday night. Double loop. And then we got tours uh, again all weekend. So triple loop. Yes. Good times. Good times to be had by all. And but we're yes. getting back to our normal schedule. Yes, we are. Getting, getting closer to the normal schedule. And, yeah, things are heating up, obviously. We uh, ditched the fireplace because, well, we're not sitting in front of a fireplace when it's 80 degrees out. And, uh, yeah, it, as the weather warms up, uh, of course, this is the time of year when people really start to think about going to uh, amusement parks. Oh, that's our story tonight. Particularly the seasonal ones. So, of course, you know, you got the big ones, Disney, Universal, stuff like that. They're open all year round, and good for them. They have the weather to do that. But places like Wolf uh, Bush Bush Gardens down the road, they're... they're Point, Hershey, yep. all those. Yep. Six Flags. Not, well, not all the Six Flags. Some of the Six Flags. Depends on where you are exactly. But, yeah, so, yeah, you, when you go to these places, you don't necessarily think about... Fire You know, think about screaming your head up while you're on a roller coaster. Yep. <laughs> you always give me the introduction. Not that I mind. So, but, yeah, so, anyways, many theme parks across the United States participate in some sort of spooky fun in the weeks leading up to Halloween. Bush Gardens, just down the road, has Hallow Scream. Universal Studios has Halloween Horror Nights, and the list goes on. But many of these fantastical playgrounds have more than just these staged scares to send a little chill down your spine, and they certainly don't limit themselves to the Halloween season. Over the years, some people have had encounters of the paranormal kind at theme parks all across the country. And as a matter of fact, so many of these incidents have happened that tonight's show is just part one of what we have for you uh, to share on the subject. So if you don't hear about your favorite theme park tonight, just join us again in two weeks as we share part two. That was busy with the And there may even be a part three at some point down the line. But in the meantime, we do are going, going to go ahead and dive into our first stop tonight. Yeah, so this is a... We're going to go, with one, going to go with one of the big ones right out of the gate. It's because mine will be out in two years because a certain sister of mine has a big birthday, and this is what she wants to do. So Disneyland, woo, here we go. Of course, uh, plenty of California amusement parks are out there, but the house to the mouth is definitely one of the most popular. Of course, we're referring to the world-renowned Disneyland. And one of the most well-known attractions there is, of course, the famous Haunted Mansion. Folks who visit this attraction can enjoy the spooky details and cast members within the house. But aside from this classic and intentionally spooky site, Disneyland is home to a shockingly high number of ghosts and other worldly entities. 
Paranormal encounters have been nearly uh, constant since the theme park's opening in 1985. The source of these spirits is likely some of the millions of people who have visited over the years and decided they never wanted to go home. Since opening day, over 2 billion guests have been to the happiest place on Earth. But the sheer volume of people is no wonder why the place is a hotbed of psychic energy. Possibly adding the fuel to the fire is the fact that it's become common for families to try to scatter their ashes of the loved ones in the park at their one-time favorite attraction. Now, I do say try, because um, if you are caught doing this, you are escorted off property and you are banned for life. Just to warn you, don't do it. It's very much frowned upon. And um, especially in the Haunted Mansion, they actually vacuum the thing every night because people do this. So unless you want your loved one's ashes winding up in the trash, trash, don't do it. Uh, yeah, it's a bit of a macabre practice, and it's understandable to a point. That said, not encouraged by Disney. We don't encourage it at all, so don't do it. Um, it's considered a potential health risk. It's a cleanliness issue, and it's, of course, turned Disneyland into one of the most ghost-ridden places in California. Let's start with me. Along Main Street, USA, as you enter Disneyland, you may encounter a particularly helpful ghost known as the Woman in White. According to the story, she helps lost children find Disneyland Baby Care Center, where they can be reunited with their parents. Many children who seemingly wander into the care center on their own have told of the same kind woman time and time again. So when the adults step outside to offer thanks for her assistance, the Woman in White is never Friendly, friendly ghost. Thanks, It's not just the technology that you're seeing. <laughs> As you move past Main Street and turn right, you'll find yourself entering Tomorrowland. And, of course, the enduringly popular Space Mountain resides here. There are warnings abound, discouraging those with health issues from partaking in this ride. And it may be that the spirit of uh, one known as Mr. One-Way Dismiss these warnings and indulge themselves with some sort of heart-stopping thrills all the same. It's believed Mr. One-Way was once part guest, like any other who stepped onto Space Mountain and died during the ride. Today, he appears as a red-haired man who will board any car with a single passenger, and then disappear in all the commotion of the trip. Security cameras never show Mr. One-Way, but numerous guests have frantically reported a man who boarded the ride with them but never came out on the other side. He's also occasionally spotted in the cast member locker room. A second ghost is there as well, known as Disco Daddy. Uh, now, she hangs out in Space Mountain, apparently uh, earning her name by glowing vividly in the dark. Sounds I'm going to come back. It better be in some sort of spectacular fashion like that. Might as well keep it fun. I'm not going to read this one. This is all good. I hate this ride. Oh, I yeah. I hate this ride. Most people do. It's, it's, it's a classic, but I hate it. It's, it's one that people love to see. So, we have to see if you even mention it. It's a new one. Yeah. Let me just say that. Yeah, it's it's and you probably know what's coming at this point. The memorable soundtrack has been known to drive people to madness. Of course. Why did you have to start that? You didn't have to do that. I wasn't going to sing it. Why did you have to sing it? You started singing it. It's a small world. Yes. So, anyways, over and over, day in and day out, the valves drone on without end, at least not until the lights shut off at the end of the night. So 
some Disneyland employees, though, have reported that the fun doesn't even stop then. Apparently, the dolls will sometimes move and sing in the middle of the night of their own volition. Cast members believe that they are inhabited by the spirit of their deceased predecessors. Now, some investigators have written this off, though, as uh, is reality butting heads with the human tendency to attribute shadowy but real figures to the paranormal. It turns out that even after the lights shut off, the dolls at It's a Small World don't stop moving. They intentionally keep these sensitive animatronics running 24 hours a day, as shutting them down runs the risk of air getting into the hydraulic lines or having joints seize up. So while the dolls do move after dark, it's likely not due to undead possession. Disneyland's urban legends, I guess, 
bring her younger son's ashes inside this spooky attraction. So officials forbade her. She somehow snuck in with the ashes and scattered them secretly. Unfortunately, this is not her son's last wish, and that's why he's down there crying to be free. Ghosts aside, there have been many paranormal activities at the Haunted Mansion. The fan circle has especially spooked many employees since it started, they started creating it. In fact, the sound of the designer who set up the equipment in the area before it opened to the public swore that he heard music playing behind one of the new walls. At the time, he believed a radio had been accidentally walled up there. However, he started panicking when the music never ended and no radio announcer came on. After failing to find the source of the sound, he instead placed a speaker in the area to drown it out. Practical. So the next time you're there, don't think that everything that you see is a prop. There's a chance you might actually be seeing a real ghost decided to welcome you personally to the haunted house. Uh, no questions. Lots of people loving uh, on the haunted mansion. <laughs> and again, our favorite place. And uh, Trina's back. Yay, Trina! Welcome back. All right, so let's go to some other experiences across the park. In June of 1966, a teenager named Thomas I. Cleveland tried to gain unauthorized access to Disneyland for grad night by climbing a fence and crossing the monorail track. When he was spotted by a security guard, Thomas ran, but he was struck and killed by a monorail train. It said that the ghost of Thomas can be seen at night running alongside the monorail train. In 1984, a woman named Dolly Young was killed when she was thrown from the bobsled on the manor since her death, cast members who are required to walk the tracks when the ride shuts down say they can hear her. Some cast members call the section of track where Dolly died, Dolly's death. In June of 1973, two brothers stayed on Tom Sawyer's Island after the park closed. They tried to escape the island by swimming across the rivers of America. Fortunately, the older brother, Odin, drowned, and cast members report seeing a ghost rippling in the water trying to make the crossing still. In 1967, a teenager named Ricky Lee Yama was killed on the Pupil Mover ride. Legend has it that this is ghost home Tomorrowland, even though the Pupil Mover closed in 1995. The ghost reportedly grabbed the hair of uh, blonde-haired guests. For those of you with blonde hair, please see what. How you doing, <laughs> Now, let's come to the most famous ghost of all at Disneyland. I mean, uh, Walt Disney put his heart and soul into this theme park, and it's no surprise that he's still there. Um, we're going to go, of course, to the Disneyland Fire Department building out on uh, the main area, the main street area. Uh, this is just inside the entrance of the park, and when uh, the Meister himself, Walt Disney, was actually in the park, um, in the residence of his apartment there, he would always leave a line on to let the employees know that he's on site. Uh, well, that actually continues to this day. Um, when the light in the window appears, uh, or it actually appears that it's always on, and that is said to be a tribute to him, uh, because every night a cast member used to turn that light off. Problem is, when they would turn that light off, leave the building, look out to the window when they would get outside, and they see the light back on again. So they go back in, turn it on, turn it off, go back outside look up the window, it's on again. By the time the third time this happened, uh, the cast member went back inside to turn it off, and when he reached for the lamp, he heard a very distinct voice say, I'm still here. 
of the coaster and the light will stay on. Except for, of course, when they're changing the light bulb. Yeah, that's my, uh, not the only place that Walt is known to be at. Uh, of course, he likes to wander around and make sure that his park is still being properly cared for. He's at self in his office behind the magic shop. He's been known to enjoy the occasional date with his dead wife, Lillian, and they are seen in the gallery of both the Pirates of the Caribbean. His disembodied voice will tell maintenance workers to be quiet or get out if you want to load time there, uh, especially when he's thinking that they're disturbing his work. Many people to Disneyland visit Disneyland every day of the year, and it's hard to mention that any of these ghosts uh, present any sort of real danger. Just go enjoy yourself there. Keep a lookout for a few extra guests that may overstate their welcome. After all, they're in the happiest place on Earth. What was the the name of the book, the fiction book about haunting? Uh, just look up five things. Yeah. I am blanking. So we mentioned this uh, this uh, gentleman before, Guy Hutchinson. Um, met him a few weeks back at uh, GalaxyCon when he was here in Richmond. He uh, he's he coming to a ghost Ghost memoirs. Ghost memoirs. Now, uh, yes, he uh, is kind of an expert on theme he park. Po- yeah, he does a podcast on theme parks, and especially Disneyland. And he researched a 50 Bobby Boozy book, Drinking Around Disneyland, yep. and Disney World. Yep. But he also wrote, uh, had a little fun with writing a fictional book about a couple of um, kind of and, ha- hapless cast members who... Uh, died while they were in driving around, and uh, then they decided, since they had nothing better to do, that they would go back and haunt Disney. So uh, that is called Ghost Memoirs, Disney After Death. So if you're interested in a little, you well, know, fictional, version a little of fictional fun of it, um, Guy wrote a book on that. <laughs> I did find a gentleman who actually researched a lot of the Disney um, uh, legends and ghost stories. Um, his book, however, conflict. It is a hand-bound book, so it's a very unique creation of art, basically. Um, Not my budget right now, as much as I would have loved to have gotten it if I could have found it, because it is uh, such a rare item. Um, Maybe one day I'll find it. Maybe. Perhaps. My turn? Your turn. We're sticking in California right now. There's a lot of haunted amusement parks in California, by the way. (laughs) A lot. So, yeah, we're not going to go too far. It's a short drive to the north to the small town of Valencia. And this is, uh, Valencia hosts Six Flags Magic Mountain, which has been known for having some of the most thrilling rides on the West Coast. Stretched over 252 acres, Magic Mountain opened for business on May 29, 1971, and was sold to Six Flags in 1979, who has operated the park ever since. This popular music park outside of L.A. has had a number of firsts in the roller coaster industry. It was home to the first looping roller coaster and the first roller coaster to go over 100 miles an hour, among other things. Many of its visitors and staff members have remained faithful to it in both life and death. During the spooky season, Magic Mountain puts on its annual Fright Fest celebration. Guests who splurge on a VIP experience will get a tour guide that leads them around the park and may share some stories along the way. 
One of the stories that has been shared is about the spirit of a young boy with dark hair wearing a blue shirt. His name is Jacob, and before he passed away from a terminal blood disease, he loved visiting the park. Unfortunately, he was confined to a wheelchair during the last few months of his life, making riding most of the park's rides impossible. However, in death, Jacob is free to ride whatever he chooses. Ride operators have reported seeing Jacob out of the corner of their eye during closing, so they always make sure to run the ride empty one last time for him before shutting it down for the night. Aside from his penchant for thrill rides, Jacob seems to love games as well, and another spot he frequents is the old Cyclone Bay area. This area, which is home to all the carnival games, is another favorite spot of the young boy, and he has been seen multiple times underneath the tarp to the basketball game. Staff have reported seeing the boy in the striped shirt reaching under the tarp area as if trying to get his basketball. At times, the boy isn't seen, but instead, staff will find a lone basketball left out, knowing that they had just put everything away and cleaned up for the evening. It was also in this area where a security guard encountered Jacob late at night. The guard yelled out to the kid, but when he didn't respond, the security guard approached him to tell him that the park was closed and he needed to leave. However, before the security guard could crouch down and lecture the boy, the boy disappeared. Yes, the games attendant, who was shutting down for the evening where the boy had gone, and the attendant had to break it to him that the boy was not just a ghost, but one that was seen in the area quite often. Aside from Jacob, Magic Mountain has amassed more than a few ghost stories in its half-century of delighting guests. The Colossus is a wood and steel coaster that opened in 1978. This ride is still thrilling guests today, but it is also unfortunately the site of one of the park's approximately eight deaths. A young woman named Carol Flores was at the park the day after Christmas in 1978, the year the Colossus opened. Carol's restraint didn't fit properly, and her lap bar failed to lock, leading to her untimely and tragic death from being thrown from the car. Today, maintenance workers report that they can sometimes hear her walking around inside the tunnel where she died on the ride. They hear it even if they hold perfectly still and nobody else is around. The ride did undergo renovations shortly after the accident, and in 2015, the track was converted to steel with the uh, coaster opening under its new name, the Twisted Colossus. Then there is the roller coaster named Goliath. Goliath is an extreme steel coaster with an opening drop of 255 feet. The coaster opened for the 2000 season, but a year later will be the location of an untimely death. On June 2, 2001, 28-year-old Pearl Santos suffered an aneurysm while riding Goliath. Since her death, staff members have reported weird issues with Goliath's phone system. Security guards monitoring the park from the security office will receive phone calls coming from Goliath's line, well after the last visitor and ride operator had left for the day. When they answer, there is nothing but static on the other end. This happened so often that a group of officers set out one night to investigate who was playing around and trying to scare them. To their surprise, nothing out of the ordinary was found, aside from an eerie sense of dread, leading many to believe that Pearl haunts the place where she died, getting people's attention by interfering with the phone lines. Also at Magic Mountain, Magic Mountain is Revolution, a coaster that originally opened in 1976 and then underwent a major renovation in 2016. The renovation added things such as virtual reality experience to the ride, 
and writers of the Looping Coaster had reported hearing a woman's hysterical screams shortly before, uh, before arriving back at the station after their ride. This may be a residual haunting associated with another tragic accident that happened at the ride over 25 years ago. On May 30, 1995, a part-time employee named Sherry Lamont was crossing the tracks in order to switch positions with another employee. Unfortunately, as she stepped onto the tracks, she was hit by a car coming into the station and thrown below the ride, fatally injuring her. Many believe that the unexplained screams are those of Sherry or perhaps those of the numerous witnesses who were there for the grisly event. Trek Street events and hauntings aside, Magic Mountain has been bringing delight to generations of visitors for over half a century. Just take these tales as a reminder that risk can lie in wait in the most joyous of places and spirits can reside in some of the most unassuming spaces. Nope, didn't mean to. <laughs> I'm good like that. All right, another park uh, I want to get back to, I've been to, Chris has never been, and that is Cedar Point. Uh, this is one of the most celebrated coaster parks in the world. On a spit of land jutting out to Lake Erie is Cedar Point. It's the second oldest community Park in North America with a history dating back to 1870. It all started with an advertisement in a newspaper calling on some enterprising person to utilize the magnificent beach on the lake of Cedar Point, and it was answered by local businessman Louis Zistel. Zistel opened a small beer garden, bathhouse, and dance floor on the peninsula. He would then bring guests over on his steamboat, the Young Reindeer, for 25 cents. In 1892, the park's first roller coaster was the Pushback Railway. It was 25 feet tall and reached a speed of 10 miles per hour, which was amazing for the time period. The oldest coaster still running in the park today is the Blue Streak. It opened in 1964. Now, today, Cedar Point boasts 70 rides, including 17 roller coasters, plus enough shows and games to keep you busy there for days. I also have a water park, by the way. With such a long and celebrated history of entertainment, it's a little surprise that some people might be inclined to spend some more time here after they have otherwise shoved off their multi It appears that the most well-known haunt at the park is the Midway Carousel. This is one of those few remaining famous DC Roller Brothers carousels in the world. Originally built in 1912 for the Revere Beach in Massachusetts, the Midway Carousel was moved to Cedar Point in 1946. It's the oldest operating ride at the park, and it has been listed on the National Register of Historic Places in the United States since 1982. Employees report hearing the carousel music playing at night while the carousel spins backwards. They have also reported leaving at night and arriving the next morning to find some of the horses in different locations. There are legends that are said to be associated with this carousel, that may or may not be related to some of the bizarre occurrences on the right instead. The most prominent legend is that of the man who carved the horses for the carousel. Oh, he kind of caught his wife in a compromising position with a jockey from the local trap. Let's just say it didn't end well. In classic, stereotypical, jaded or not jaded, um, jilted. jilted lover fashion. He, he is, shot them both. Yeah, he shot them both. Um, and uh, then he apparently carved a couple of the horses for the carousel. 
There's a black horse with a bone carved into him, and another horse with the face of a jockey carved into the saddle. Could the negative energy from this experience be reflected in the work of the carver? We can't say for sure, but it's safe to say. It's strange thing. I mean, you put your energy and your work into your creation. If you're a little picked up and you start carving, yeah, yeah it kind of resonates. You know, I, I do kind of want to throw the other thing. If, 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 a, if a cautionary tale. This is a legend we came across. It doesn't add up timeline-wise it, with history, but it is a legend that is out there if you actually search on it. Yeah, so I I did actually delete this from the script because I did a little research. Like, this sounds a little weird. Obviously, you know, Cedar Point is not necessarily close, but it's not too far from Chicago. Now, of course, Cedar Point was there when Al Capone was basically the mob king and, you know, mob boss in Chicago. And who says that he didn't maybe pop over that? We don't yeah. know for sure. There's no record. Yeah, but there was a legend that Al Capone tortured people on the carousel at Cedar Point before throwing their bodies into the lake right nearby. Well, this is where the timeline doesn't add up. The carousel, while being built originally back in 1912, wasn't moved to Cedar Point until 1946. By this point in his life, Al Capone was uh, gravely ill from a, uh, let's just say, a little disease. Um, a transmitted disease that's yeah. actually running rampant these days. Yeah, and uh, if you let it go untreated, it actually eats your brain. So by the time we get to 1946, Al Capone passes away in 1947. 1946, he's uh, receiving medical treatment down in Florida and basically has the mentality of about a 12-year-old. So he was far from being a mob boss who is a... Torturing people on his carousel and dumping bodies in place. Yes. It's not to say that maybe he wasn't in Massachusetts, where this carousel originally was located, but that's not near a lake. Yes. It was uh, the it was carousel, right yeah. The carousel was originally located in a place called Reeves Beach in Massachusetts. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe if Al Capone decided to vacation at Reeves Beach, but possible. It seems I'm like, sure they had gangster conventions, you know. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like it'd be an interesting story, yeah. but you kind of need to take some of these things with a grain of salt. Yeah, it's an interesting legend that has popped up. All right, but let's get back to the actual ghosts that are there. So the Midway Carousel is not the only thing in the park that was designed by Daniel Mulder. Apparently, the carousel that formerly sat in the park's Frontierland was a 1921 Denzel Carousel, and it had horses carved by Mulder. Mulder's Carousel horse, also known as the Military Horse, is said to have been the only haunted carousel horse in existence. So who would haunt a carousel horse? In this case, it's actually believed to be Daniel's wife, Mrs. Muller. Uh, she fell in love with the horse after her husband had carved it, and allegedly that love was so strong that her ghost wouldn't let anybody photograph it. And when the horse was on display, the staff reported seeing her riding the horse after the park had been closed. Unfortunately, the original Muller horse got removed and put away in storage. The carousel that the horse used to be part of got moved, to Dorney Park in Allentown, Pennsylvania. So, uh, of course, minus this one horse that's now in storage. You can see a replica of this horse at the Marigold Museum in Sandusky, Ohio. And it says 
that people can hear Mrs. Moeller walking around the place at night admiring the replica. <laughs> Alright, so to the point, like all good being kind of a hotel in This is known as Hotel Breakers. Uh, it first opened in 1905, and it provides a cozy place to stay with premier access to all the excitement at the point. Um, it has 600 rooms, and it is one of the largest hotels in the Midwest. In uh, 2015, of course, those 600 rooms got completely refurbished, and it has all your modern creature comforts now. This hotel actually has four different sections of it because they're all built in different times, adding on as need was there. There are a few, of course, reported hottings. The first is uh, arguably the most well-known. It occurs in the part of the hotel known as the lobby. This is a two-story structure that houses offices, meeting rooms uh, on the first floor, and, of course, employee dwellings on the second floor. In the earliest days, the current employee rooms were actually guest rooms. And in room 169, a guest named Mary allegedly hanged herself out of the cellar for her lover. Since then, employees and guests have reported odd occurrences, disturbances, violent, unclean actions, noises, problems with electronics, and many other things. They've also reported hearing crying and their shower turning on and off uh, as, well, apparently Mary doesn't necessarily want you to shower. The hotel also has a haunted balcony where a couple apparently made a suicide pact. It said that uh, uncertain circumstances were going to leave the man and the woman and be separated and that they would rather die than be without one another. When the moment came for the two to leap from the balcony into the great beyond, the man jumped to his death, but the woman reconsidered and lifted her back to safe, herself back to safety. In the years since, the woman in the room uh, needs to be vigilant about their surroundings and emotions. As many have reported a strong pull towards the balcony where the man is still trying to pull a companion off the ledge into the ever after with him. Hotel Breakers Ballroom may also have some phenomena that could be um, pulled straight from the pages of The Shining. Yeah, we're gonna talk about mysterious music, ghostly dancers that like to show a party scene from a generation past. Similar, you know, kind of the party that happened in The Shining, but plus all the blood, and not necessarily quite as horrifying. No, here comes Johnny with an axe. No, 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 no. So, when are we leaving? After the dark of catfight, apparently. Yep. There's hissing in the hallway. I'm never gonna pass this script. I'm gonna check that real fast. But uh, Patrick pointed out here that um. Uh, Cedar Point is owned by the same company that owns uh, King's Dominion. Yes. Yes. So I forgot about that. So there is that little connection there. Are we done? They're not done. You know they're not done. The catch is spicy tonight. And uh, and Alex pointed out that um, I need a refill. <laughs> I'll bring in the original spicy one. That's not everybody. Is that how you know? No, I'm not going to fight with my brother yet. Uh, told you I'd wind up having something first. <laughs> <laughs> I have to be at 5.30 tomorrow. <laughs> Maybe those will be sleepy tonight. Here's hoping. Ever last time I'm sure what sleepy's my brain? Yeah. Sleepy. 
That said, the exceedingly rare and tragic events that have occurred are believed to have left an indelible psychic imprint on the park alongside some whose happier memories may have them returning of their own deep-seated desire to have one last thrill in the park. While various specters have been reported all across the landscape of Six Flags or Texas in its many years of operation, many of them tied back into the previously mentioned tragic tales. Uh, there, are, there is one spirit here that has appeared to many people time and again over the years. Now, one of the park's natural features is Johnson Creek, which runs right through the middle of the destination's landscape. It's believed that Annie, a young girl who drowned in Johnson Creek during the early 1900s, wanders the park's historic yellow house, known as the Candy House, in the Texas section of the park. The Candy House is near the Texas Giant roller coaster entrance, and Annie's spirit is said to be a generally friendly and mischievous spirit that hangs out in the area. She is known to flicker the lights of her house off and on periodically, and she will also sometimes unlock the front door of the Yellow House after employees lock it up behind themselves. The upstairs bedroom curtains will also open and close of their own or on their own, activity that has also been attributed to Annie. So Annie usually keeps a low profile and doesn't interfere with park guests. She has sometimes appeared to them in the darkness of the mine train attraction. She has also been seen wandering the parking lot, but when visitors offer to help her find her parents, Annie will lead them into the woods and disappears. It never hurts to be polite to a friendly spirit, so if you ever find yourself by the candy house in Six Flags, make sure you give Annie a wave and a warm hello. Now, this is the best in which we had researched before we went on our last Universal trip because we didn't go in this building. We did not go on this ride. Not this time. The last, first no. time we did. No, we didn't. We didn't do Shrek at all. We Never? Didn't it. We didn't name it. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, we did not do Shrek at all. And Shrek is not closed. So we're popping down to Universal dust, Chris's shirt, and my leggings because Harry Potter World. Yes, but I said a Death Eater shirt. No, it's actually it's Azkaban. Azkaban. I was a prisoner at Azkaban. Approach. No, don't approach. Do not approach. <laughs> don't approach. Yeah, the fun thing was when we first went to Universal, uh, it was my first time. Chris had been there before, uh, but not to Harry Potter World. It was many years before. Yeah. <laughs> and so when we're going through Harry Potter, I'm playing with the wand and making all the cool things happen. I'm like, hey, what house are you? He goes, I don't know. So I made a pitch quiz right then and there. Of course, he's a Florida man. Shrek 4D wasn't the first attraction building. That 
distinction actually goes to Alfred Hitchcock. Yes, the Alfred Hitchcock. Is there, is there another Alfred Hitchcock? No, but he, no. The. he is the Alfred Hitchcock. There's got to be somebody else out there in the probably. world. Probably. Somebody probably Hitchcock. named it after their favorite person. I kind of feel sorry for the guy. You're never going to live up to Alfred Hitchcock. I'm sorry. Sorry. Anyway, but it was known as Alfred Hitchcock, The Art of Making Movies. And it uh, actually opened up in 1990 when the uh, Universal Studios first opened up. It was a 3D feature where guests got to see Hitchcock's greatest scares come to life. It had real sets that were recreated for guests to actually explore and had a pre-show which featured Anthony Perkins from Psycho who walked the guests through the famous shower scene. I would have loved to have seen this ride. It should still be there, by the way. It should still be there, Universal. Bring it back. At least they still do have the... Um, the monster makeup. The monster makeup, yeah. which is fun. Which is very fun. Anyway, if the stories are to be believed, that something was brought over for this ride, and Dr. Hitchcock might have pitched a ride with it. That being, of course, Hitchcock decided that he was drawn to the resort as Psycho Pole was actually built on the lawn. A couple of different things could happen there. Yes. Now, uh, this was filmed in 1990, and it was the same year as I said the park opened. Over the years, staff and guests alike have claimed to have a run-in with the macabre movie maker even after the exhibit was replaced with Shrek. <laughs> the run-ins included staff members who were working in one particular theater space, and after seeing Hitchcock in the theater, the door slammed shut, the lights shut off in their own accord, and the event gave the staff a scare that was very Hitchcockian. In his life, Hitchcock was noted for his often fierce determination to get things just as he wanted them. That's not to say that he was an off-putting individual or that he made a habit of being rude. Quite the contrary, he collaborated with some of the biggest names in Hollywood at the time and produced some amazing work. Although several of them said he was horrid to work with at times because he wanted just right. He could also be a cruel prankster from time to time as well. Um, he was not somebody you would want to cross or betray, however, and it would be fair to say that Hitchcock may have felt betrayed at the replacement of his attraction of the uh, animated ogre. Staff members recall multiple occasions where a brush with Hitchcock was quick, quickly followed by a malfunction of the Shrek ride. Animatronics would uh, activate or move on their own volition, even entire theaters would black out without explanation. There's Often a certain seat in the back row that wouldn't work quite right. And actually led the staff to guard off and say, that's Hitchcock's seat. The staff learned that it was in everybody's best interest to acknowledge Hitchcock every single morning and to say hello to him. If that happens, Hitchcock might be calm enough that nothing would go wrong that day. Apparently, he doesn't want to be forgotten, and of course, the sentiment is certainly understandable. We like to be assured that Hitchcock and his creation will not be forgotten. However, what will he make of a new attraction uh, in this structure? Well, some. Though there is rumor, rumor that in the new land that they are currently working on, there's going to be a tribute to the Universal Monsters. Here's hoping. So I'm really hoping Hitchcock is there. Well, good. Epic Universal. Epic Universal. Something to that. Yeah. Epic something. But looking forward to that. Yeah, I can't wait till it opens. So hopefully it'll have that monster area. It's supposed to have a Nintendo area. 
Nintendo area, as well as have another here at Hunter area that I think that there's two acres from you are from Fantastic Beasts. Fantastic Beasts. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. I'll be really curious. And possibly might have the Ministry of Magic there. Hmm? Yeah. Universal Hollywood, our last stop for tonight. Now, 
of course, you know, as we've already mentioned, Orlando doesn't have a monopoly on the, the Universal Parks. And uh, Universal Hollywood Studio has two stories of its own, including a tale about the Phantom of Stage 28. While positive identification of the specter remained elusive, many think that it might be that of Lon Chaney. Chaney was the star of many of Universal's original monster movies, the movies that literally made the studio what it is today. Universal Monsters is like... It's their core. It's, it's their core. It was, I mean, for, for so many years, it's what kept them afloat. I mean, yeah. it's what made them the studio that they are today. And Lon Chaney was key to that. Because he played them all. Yeah. Now, Stage 28 was built for his most famous movie, which was The Phantom of the Opera, featuring a full-size remake of the Parisian theater from the movie, uh, from the picture. Years since, the set had remained for decades, with uh, Universal staffers all saying that a black-cloaked stranger had been witnessed hiding within the balconies of the theater. The reports happened so often that security guards even stopped searching the soundstage when those reports came in. Unfortunately, sightings of the Phantom ended when the stage was demolished in 2016 to make room for an expansion to the theme park. To their credit, Universal did preserve the beautiful Parisian theater set in storage, but the stage that played host to so many remarkable films has passed on in history. We'll see if they ever get around to reassembling the Parisian theater. And, and if they do the Monster Land and Epic Universal, that would be a perfect place. It'd be a great place for it. And who knows, maybe our... Uh, maybe our, Alan will come visit. Yeah, you know, maybe our, our Phantom will hitch a ride with it. My favorite, favorite topic. And so one final story for this evening, um, and again, also from Universal Hollywood. Now, in late, uh, late summer 2015, longtime Universal Studios employee, John Murdy, was tasked with bringing back Halloween Horror Nights for Hollywood after a five-year hiatus. Now, I don't know why you would put Halloween Horror Nights on hiatus. I mean, speak for myself. Bring it on. I probably should have researched that before I said something. I don't care. Bring it on. Bring it back. Anyways, it is back, though. Yes. And it's... uh, we, we seriously need to get down and check it out one time, like go in like late September. Mm-hmm. Usually the Halloween Horror Nights, they operate like for about Mid six September or through October. Through October. So obviously October we can't do. But yes. this September we could. Yep, so we'll have to see if we can get around to that someday. We'll have to pop down to Orlando for it. But anyways, um, so uh, as the creative director responsible for the grand vision of the attraction, Murdy was scouting the back lot for areas that could be, that could be included as part of the terror tram experience. Accompanying him was a member of his team, Casey. Late in the evening, after all the other staff had called it a night, Murdy and Casey were the only people in that portion of the back lot, which is why Murdy was surprised when he heard the diabolical giggling, which stopped almost as quickly as it began. Murdy bolted leaving a confused Casey behind. While Casey had also heard the noise, he was inclined to dismiss it as nothing more than a harmless fluke of their surroundings. Casey cajoled Murdy to come back and investigate whatever it was that could have made the sound, and Murdy sheepishly returned to Casey's side. It was only moments later, though, when the dying disembodied giggling started again, this time much closer than before. Murdy bolted again, and this time Casey lost what little was left of his own nerves and was hot on Murdy's heels. By 
the next day, the story about Marty and Casey encountering a ghost in the back lot was making the rounds among fellow horror knights and universal staff. Most passed it off as a security guard. Many laughed at the notion that Murdy, a lifelong horror fan who had begun building home haunts as a small child, could actually be frightened by something like diabolical beauty. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but not everyone dismissed the possibility that the giggling was of supernatural origin. Other employees began confiding of their own unusual experiences on the Universal Backlog. One that stuck out to Murday was the sighting of a man wandering in the area near the Psycho House, wearing a vintage aerial outfit, complete with a leather helmet and jacket. According to what he heard, a number of employees reported seeing a similarly dressed man over a period of years. The sightings were in the same area where Murday and Casey heard the giggling. Murdy dived into the Universal Archives, searching for any films that may have had cast members as pilots. After hours of research, Murdy came across an answer, but it was not in the film and script collection. Murdy's answer was in a headline story of the L.A. Times from March 17, 1915, the opening weekend of Universal Studios. To celebrate the opening weekend of Universal City, studio chief Carl uh, Lamely orchestrated a spectacle to kick off what the Times hailed as the greatest motion picture city in the world. Thousands of guests descended upon Universal, arriving from every corner of the country. Excuse me. As they walked through the studio gates, gorgeous young ladies showered flowers on the guests, while mounted cowboys and Indians fired shots into the air and worked war cries. The studio's directors, cast, and crew demonstrated film shoots on a variety of film sets, and for the first time, the famous simulated flood scene had hundreds of thousands of gallons of water washed through the backlot. According to the LA Times, on the first day of the momentous weekend, only one or two minor accidents occurred, and those were from children who received minor injuries after running under horses. Thinking back then, just wasn't quite what it they is today. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so the next day, the plant showstopper would be a simulated aerial battle above the heads of the crowd. Universal had enlisted uh, Frank Spitz, a pilot whose own high-flying bravado was already known to the residents of L.A. Spitz regularly performed aerial stunts in Venice Beach and other coastal communities and was also the chief instructor of the Griffith Aviator Park, which had opened three years earlier. For the stunt, Stitz would fly his biplane over an enemy plane and drop a payload of explosives that would destroy his enemy. The bomb was, in fact, in an earth bundle of cloth, and the unpiloted enemy plane strung along a zip line was loaded with a primed explosive. The scheduled battle was postponed through the day due to uncooperative winds, and perhaps due to an extra cautious Frank Fitz. That very morning, Fitz learned that his friend, the leading aviator, Lincoln Beachley, was killed while performing a stunt in the San Francisco Bay. The LA Times speculated that Fitz was faced with the challenge of taking Beachy's place as the world's greatest aviator. Everything went according to script until the explosives went off. Before dropping the payload, Stitz circles three or four times above the thousands of awestruck Universal visitors for effect. Spotting his cue from the director, Stitz 
uh, cruise back around on its path towards the dummy plane, and as scripted, drops the payload, and the dummy plane was blasted into shrapnel. This was also when everything went horribly wrong. To those on the ground, it appeared that immediately after the unmanned plane exploded, Stitz lost control of his own plane. That it is not known if he was tossed from his seat or if he jumped, hoping for safety, but when the plane was 60 feet from the ground, Stitz plummeted to the feet of the crowd. Moments later, the plane crashed into a patch of trees 50 feet away. Stitz was dead on impact. The LA Times had reported that his final column was driven I'd say ow, but you're not even going to feel that. Mm-hmm. Uh, immediately after the accident, Carl Lemley himself announced that all further festivities would be canceled, and the crowds made their way home. Besides reports of the accident that hit the news in the days that followed, Frank Stitt's name disappeared from the papers. Perhaps all that Stitt wanted was acknowledgement, which is why his spirit still lingers on the back line. After learning about Frank Stitz and his dreadful fate, John Murdy said that he would uh, said that with the help of a mannequin, he created an effigy of the doomed pilot and let him know that he would not be forgotten. Now, if you do sometimes ride the Universal Backlot Tour, you may spot this mannequin dressed up as a pilot along the route. Murdy claims that since then, the sightings of a lone man in an aerial outfit have stopped and he hasn't heard the giggling since. In keeping with the times, the ghost of Frank Stitz now has its own Facebook page, and some Universal employees have taken to dressing up as his corpse to frighten visitors to the studio's annual Halloween attraction. So if you're on the back lot and happen to see a man walking around dressed as an aviator, it's probably a live human wearing a costume. Probably. Most of the so, um, Trina asked, King's Island in Ohio. Yes, that is on the list for ne- uh, the next show. So, we will be covering that one. Story of Tram Girl and Tower Giant. Yes. Ring a bell? Ring the bell. All right. You will have that in two weeks' time, Trina. Awesome. And, yeah, if anybody else has anything, don't hesitate to drop it in the chat or even just shoot us a note later on. We check our messages with, uh, regularly, whether it's email or Facebook Messenger and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. So it's Halloween year-round at Monster Richmond headquarters, absolutely. Yep. So we all, always have spooky stuff out. As a matter of fact, uh, we have a... Uh, skeletons are currently sitting at the table waiting to go outside, but we have to finish uh, standing in the Yep. So, but yeah, there's uh, our, our four, four skeletons are having their, uh, their team meeting at the dining room table which is where they usually are if they're not outside putting on a show. Uh, Yuna, Yuna, get back here. Yuna likes hanging over the banister. Yeah. Staring at half the back. Yeah. Um, and the stuff that you see up behind us. That's here, all year round. That, that's all year round, and it's, uh, it's not just staged, not only staged for this. we got stuff like this all over the house. I have a Jack and Sally banner that hangs in the dining room with Halloween Yeah. Every day. Every day. Um, At team meetings, planning world domination, of course. Yeah. It really needs to take over the world right now. If they could ever stop fighting with each other. 
original Spice Nurse when I was. Yeah. She's the OG, so. Oh, yes, she is. Yeah, Lulu is already up in bed waiting to go to bed. She is anything but Spice. She is, she is the wise one. She's chill. Uh, she is Lulu the gray. But yeah, so it's been uh been, been a couple of weeks, and uh, yeah, this was a lot of fun. Yeah. Love this episode. I'm looking forward to the next one in two weeks. All right. So just so you all know how busy I've been, I have scripts written through July. Yep. Yep. Getting ahead of things because uh, we got a long vacation in there, and we're gonna have to adjust the schedule right before the vacation. Because one of our shows would be while we're on vacation, and while we are can't guarantee we'll have reception. Yeah, unlike when we've done a couple of, we've done a few shows from up in New York, yeah. but this is not a New York vacation, and uh, we're not going to necessarily have that, uh, have that, 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 ability. that ability to do so. So there will be a little shuffling around the schedules um, sometime this summer, but we do are, are going to generally continue to do the shows every couple of weeks. Um, so yeah, two weeks, we got Haunted Amusements Part 2, and then four weeks from now, we have Haunted Michigan, because why not? Michigan has a lot of interesting ghost stories. So I decided I was going to jump on it. Yeah. We, we, when we started doing these over two years ago now, uh, we started, you know, we, like we picked the state. I forget, you know, we've done, like, Haunted Florida. We've got Haunted Kentucky. We've done a, a few things, like Hawaii. Yeah. I think it was after we did the Hawaii one. I decided we, I was going to do each state at some point. At some point. Uh, and so I started the research, and then we got sidetracked, and we started doing other things. And I'm like, you know what? Let's go back and do another state. Yep. So Michigan is on the list. And since people do like to go to Michigan to be on the lake during the summer, we yep. decided that was a good time. Yep. Yeah. It will be basically right before Memorial Day. So yep. good timing on that front. Part of work on the script. How, how much have these video streams increased your paranormal know-how? I say substantially. Mm-hmm. We we now we some of the stories, of course. We don't memorize all of them. We can't memorize yeah. all of them. But there are there have been a few some you know here and there along the way that yeah. just stick with you because they're such fascinating stories. Yeah, and one of them we're actually going to be doing with your haunted libraries, which is coming up as well um, during the summer. And there was a point where I got to a haunted library in Dublin, and I went, "Did we tell this one already?" Because it's like I'm not familiar with it. I'm like, I know I've I've put this in the script somewhere, and sure enough, I had. It was in my my Ireland part three, we just hadn't actually told the story yet. Yep. But it was in the script. And so I'm like, oh, copy and paste, and we'll put it in this one. Yep. <laughs> but, yeah, that's the point I get to where I'm like, um, so. I'm sure that one day, somehow, some way, we're going to have one slip through the cracks and we're going to repeat a story that we've done previously. But now we're, we're over, I think, over 60 episodes at this point. Yeah. And with each episode running between about an hour, an hour and a half, we're coming up on 70 to 80 material, 70 to 80 hours of material, and it's just growing. It keeps growing. Yeah. I have a lot of scripts that I've started, but I haven't finished. Um, so yeah. I just found a whole bunch of research for medieval books. Medieval hunting. That'd be fun. So, That's one thing that so many people ask about, like, why are all the ghosts from the Victorian era? Well, they're not. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of ghost stories from the Victorian because era. Because they were sure. fascinated with them. Yes. Um, but they're not all from them. Yeah. So yeah. It was just talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. So, well, we like to mix it up. Yeah. But, so there's a lot of 
lot of interesting ones that um, are going to be coming up there that are percolating. Yeah. And we just, even though um, we got those scripts all written out through, you know, probably mid-summer at this point, we, we do love to um, get more suggestions for stories. If you got something that you want to want us to uh, possibly research and do for a topic, we're happy to hear from you because, well, we're going to keep doing these shows well past summer this year. So we're going to keep them going. There's going to be a lot more to come. And, yeah. and more of them are making it onto the YouTube page. Um, I think I've only got, like, six or seven up there now. But it it takes a while to do the transition. Yeah, it does take quite a while. So but eventually. I, 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 I work on it when I have a few minutes, which... Very often, which hasn't been very often. It hasn't been the last week. Probably not going to be this week. Yeah. But I'll I'll throw uh, work on throwing a few more up there as I as I get to do so. And don't forget, if you haven't signed up, we do have that email newsletter now. So okay. if you go to our website, hauntsofrichmond.com, there's actually a tab up at the top for newsletter. Just click on that. It gives you a very short sign-up form for your name and email address, and you will be signed up, and you will start getting our newsletter. They all have a good story in it every single time. Yep. Yep. We, uh, we sent out our first one uh, just a little over a week ago. And, uh, yeah. So. And on AT West, we still have um, some slots available that have to be signed up before by July. Because uh, at that point in time, we do need to release the hotel rooms that uh, have not been reserved. So that is the deadline. If you want to come with us, you got to do it by July. Yeah. That is going to be a fun trip. Already looking forward to that. Yeah. And we got three other trips between now and then. New York twice. New York twice. Yeah. So anyways, with that, I we're starting to starting to ramble, starting to digress a little bit, but that's what we do. That's how we roll. All right, we'll see you all in two weeks. Have a good night. Yep, all y'all have a good one. Thanks for joining us. Okay, bye.